free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks, faithful listeners of the drop zone. This is Sean Zock, your captain speaking, sitting across this digital table from Dylan DeChair, my co-captain. Dylan, buddy, we have taken a break. We have taken, what, 10 days off from recording episodes? What's up with that? It's the off-season, Sean. It is the off-season. We are making like Keegan Bradley, taking a few weeks away this is our return. We're defending champions this week. I don't know in what sense. Uh, Keegan Bradley is the defending champion at this week's Zozo. But yeah, it's good to be back behind the mic. Yeah, well, we've taken 10 days off. I, I think that, uh, you know, hardly feels like it. Hardly feel. What'd we miss, I guess? <laughs> might be more than that. It might be two weeks. Who knows <laughs> at this point? Um, but we are rejuvenated. We're, 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 um, it's tinkering season for all these guys. They're working through different putters and drivers and ball testing. And honestly, we're we're tinkering with the format of this podcast. We like it. We know that you like it, but we want to make it better. And um, just kind of yeah, you know, what we just did, Sean. We should have just pressed record because we we got on this Zoom call. We just sat here for the last forty <laughs> minutes talking about this podcast and about its future, about how it should look for twenty twenty four, et cetera, et cetera. We should have just been recording yeah. the whole time to bring you, the listener, on that journey. But I don't know. That's for maybe that's for next week. Yeah, we'll see if we get there. Uh, but for this week, for the next thirty to thirty-five, uh, we're gonna do something I think we will do more of in the future, and that is is just tapping into what people are saying. Um, we I think our future drop zone will include multiple episodes a week, the latter of which really catches up on press conferences, things that people are saying out there in the world that we can react to. Uh, I don't have a fun name for it yet, Dylan, uh, if this will be a future segment, but we're just diving into quotes. I've got four quotes for you. I think you've got a couple quotes for me. And essentially what we want to do is peel back what these quotes mean, if there is anything to them, if they are BS. You know, if our BS radars are going off the charts, um, some of them will be fun quotes. Some will be a little more serious. So uh, without any further ado, the most recent quote, it was included in your Monday finish column. It came from Tom Kim, Dylan. Uh, The quote is what begins. I was actually thinking about this last night. I knew I was going to get this question. And now the drop zone faithful, maybe wondering what was the question what was the question the question was the question was essentially hey tom kim you won this event last year but you were 20 you won this event again and you're 21 you're in vegas as a 21 year old who just won a bunch of money what are you gonna do and tom kim's response was i'm going to finish a piece of chocolate that i've wanted to finish so i'm going to do that then I'm going to order room service and I'm going to go to bed. Then I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. and take my 6.30 a.m. flight. That is a flight to Tokyo uh, where he currently is. Dylan, do you believe that that is all that he did? Young 21-year-old Tom Kim, that all he did was order room service, finish a piece of chocolate, go to bed and wake up for his cross-Pacific flight? I think so. Oh, yeah. I believe it. because. <laughs> Here's the thing. What Tom Kim knows is playing really good golf, shooting low scores. 
uh, going to TPC Summerlin and going back to his hotel and warming up and going back again and performing well under pressure. Like that is old hat to Tom Kim. But let's be honest, like everyone that's our age, a bunch of, bunch of, you know, 31 year olds, you know, your way around Las Vegas, even if you haven't been there, you've been to an equivalent. You've now, you've been to a bachelor party. You've, you know, you kind of know your way around the scene. If you're Tom Kim, you can have all the money in the world. You can have your Nike deal. You can you can be a budding superstar. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. If you don't have a crew that knows their way around, and the more I say this, the more I'm like, well, you could pretty easily get a crew that would love. There, there's a crew that this is where I could be wrong. If there's this Vegas crew that's like, all right, Tom, come on, we're going then yeah. that would be the exception. Like, I don't know, Kurt Kitayama lives in Las Vegas. I don't even know if he mm-hmm. played the golf tournament. He just came to mind because uh, <laughs> uh, Minwoo Lee just said that he's going to start rooming with him in Vegas. Like if if yeah. those guys were like, all right, man, we're hitting the town tonight, then I could see Tom having a transformational experience. But if it's just him and he's like, <laughs> hey, I'm tired. It's late. I've got an early flight. And you know what? I am, as of this current moment is a man of simple pleasures. I like winning golf tournaments Mm -hmm. and you know, I've been watching what I eat a lot more, but now I'm going to splurge. I'm going to enjoy this white chocolate that I brought back from Europe. And then I'm going to go to the airport at like three 30 in the morning. Yeah. I don't believe him. I don't agree with you. I think Vegas is just sitting there for the taking and you can, you can have basically whatever you want. If you are lucky enough to have won a golf tournament, even if he's as skilled as he is, why aren't you going and putting a little bit down on the roulette table, right? Because like, you don't know. You don't know roulette. You've <laughs> never. You've never done that. You wouldn't know where to put your chips. You wouldn't know where to get chips. Like I'm just saying, if you sure. he 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 had another part of this quote that was basically just like, I kind of like to stay away from the strip. I don't really do like loud party things. I think last year he said that the President's Cup that was the first party that he'd ever been to was the President's Cup after party. And uh, so I just don't think it's wheelhouse for him enough. So I think protect yeah. Tom Kim. I'm cool with that. All right, let's move on. You ready for my first quote? I'm ready. This is this is from Kevin Kisner, who says, I can promise that I'm going to have a lot of fun at TGL events and hope to bring a little trash talk and personality to each match. I love the idea of trying new things in golf and TGL should be a way we can introduce fans of other sports to golf and maybe even create a few new fans along the way. Sean, your thoughts. My thoughts are that Kevin Kisner should not be in TV. Wow. Uh, with all due respect, uh, they have their pick of the litter. Uh, I think on paper, he's a horrible pick. I think in reality, yeah, he's right. He can trash talk. If, you, if, if, if you're going to make Rory McIlroy somehow uncomfortable in this simulator golf league, Maybe you stick Kevin Kisner out there uh, talking trash against him. Like he will bring a level of personality that I think might be lacking from some of the people in the league. So in that in that sense, it's good. However, he is ranked by Data Golf, the trustworthy, unofficial partner of the Drop Zone, as 428th in the world. Dylan, 428th best golfer in the world his game has really fallen off i think for the tgl you need it to have personality you need it to have uh vigor and it needs to be dynamic and like putting him out there it really only checks like one of those boxes and 
like this is the same league that has John Rahm and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Tiger and Rory. He is a misfit. My main concern around this is whenever you're talking about trash talk in a press release, whenever you're talking about personality in a press release, <laughs> it just doesn't land for me. And my concern about the TGL is that it is one giant press release about trash talk. You know what I mean? That it's like, oh, this is, guys, just wait. Yep. It's the, one of these things that on paper... You can make it sound really cool. The the future of golf, it's dynamic. You get all these guys, it's, they're a little more relaxed. They're showing off their personalities, whatever. I guess partly we just have to see it. But yeah, that's my concern is that this thing is going to be kind of workshops to death and that and that they don't have the product itself figured out. And I, I don't yeah. know if that's true, that's, but that's my fear. No one knows if it's true. It is fair criticism at this point and... The only reason why is because we've seen golfers mic'd up. We've seen uh, Tiger versus Phil not really live up to the dynamic like potential that it was promised. All the trash talk, Phil posing on you know buckets worth of do- of hundred dollar bills, and it just wasn't that great. The golf wasn't that great. These matches have been fun but more cute than anything um so we are gonna yeah. have to wait to I mean, see like here's what we've learned right dynamic. it's like the the better content is the organic stuff or at least the stuff that is so set up that it feels organic it's like uncut stuff of tiger talking to scotty scheffler on the driving range something like that mm-hmm. this this my fear is that this would trend too much the other way that it's like you build out everything except the actual kind of organic interactions mm-hmm. and all of that and and these guys are really interesting when they're not trying to perform and so hopefully they can just stay away from that kisner's funny yeah. i will say kevin kisner's comeback tour is fascinating to me the fact that he just sort of lost it that he's been pretty open about how he walked away he's just stopped playing the pga tour because he was afraid to hit tee shots essentially he has made two cuts Yikes. in a row, Fortnet and Sanderson Farms. He did not finish in the top 50 in either event. So uh, some signs of some progress, I guess, but a ways to go. And hey, as they say about the NFL or about the NBA and the New York Knicks, the PGA Tour is just a better place when Kevin Kisner's in the mix, Sean. Next <laughs> quote, please. I guess that's true. Uh, next quote comes from a man named Ari Emanuel. Do you know who that is? I do because I've seen this quote and, uh, well, for a couple other reasons too, I guess. But tell me more. Ari Emanuel is the CEO of Endeavor, um, which is a massive company um, that used to be William & Morris when they merged with Endeavor. Anyways, he is the uh, living embodiment of, I believe, who Ari Gold, the entourage character was based off of as the agent um, played by Jeremy Piven of Vinnie Chase. That's too much. But anyway, here's the quote, Dylan. The quote starts, I think it's like seven other bidders. We put in a bid for the, there's a 501c3 nonprofit, and then they've created a profit investment company or opportunity for the PGA. We put in a bid a week ago, Friday. We are in in TKO, the sports business, I'm an avid golfer. I'm a seven handicap. It's one of the great sports. I love it. I think we could add to it what we've added to all our sports based on the flywheel. Now, that is a whole hell of a lot of corporate business lingo. But really what Ari Emanuel is talking about is a bid to invest in the PGA Tour 
and uh, what I, I would imagine would also include the DP World Tour and a bid that I anticipate would compete with the money coming from the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. So, like, do you have any clue what the hell Ari Emanuel is saying? What he's saying, Sean, is the PGA Tour is open for business. Look, this is not breaking news. This is happening. I think that there's just been a slow trickle of news about, oh, is the PGA Tour accepting private equity uh, bids to either dilute, supplement, or possibly replace the deal with the Saudi PIF? It's still not clear which one of those three things it's going to be. I guess supplementing and diluting are potentially the same thing, but whether it is yeah, I was, I was say that. in addition to or... Well, but I guess it's it's like is this would the Saudis then reduce their investment or would this be in addition to that? Uh, Emmanuel also mm-hmm. said, "Look, he would love to like buy a controlling share, but that is not up for grabs." Uh, so, in other words, no one is buying fifty-one percent of the PGA Tour. No one is taking a controlling stake in it. Um, but yeah, it means that the PGA Tour is is not just necessarily going to go ahead with this deal with the Saudis. It means this stuff is all still really murky. It means that yep. It means various different people have been heard. It means that some of the players have gotten involved. Uh and it means that what we thought we knew on June 6th, which was not much, we actually knew even less than that. Yeah. Um it also tells us that he's not alone. Yes. Um true. There, there could be any number of billionaires with an interest in golf that would join forces with him or that uh, would try to put up more money than him. Uh, I would anticipate it being the former rather than the latter, but um, it, it tells us that the PJ Tour, I guess, could turn on its word again, uh, that Jay Monahan and his, uh, I guess, directionality moving towards the Saudi PIF could 180 degree pivot once again. Um, so yeah, I, I wrote about this for the website and ultimately just was trying to piece together this trend that private equity venture capitalists continue to sprint after sports entities. Um, you know, I think we've talked about it here on our podcast and we should get to the next quote soon enough. But the man who is basically representing Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy uh, as members of the PGA Tour Policy Board is a guy named Colin Neville. And that guy has more control over kind of what Tiger says and does right now than Mark Steinberg, Tiger's longtime agent. Because Neville is the man who was in the room when the top 22 players Last summer met in Delaware. Neville is the man who is in charge uh, of how Chelsea was sold for $2.5 billion. He's the man in charge of helping Manchester United get sold, which will uh, likely be a massive, massive value. Well, and all the way back to the guy, PGL, he was involved. Yeah, he was, a, he was a major director in the initial idea that was essentially co-opted by Live Golf and when you throw that into the mix, including the fact that um, Endeavor was going to bankroll Live Golf, that Ari Emanuel's company was considering a $1 billion investment in that enterprise, this has been happening like 
not behind the scenes, but all these figures have been moving in this direction for a lot longer than, um, I guess viewers and readers would, would be akin to that info. So I, I just attuned to that info rather. I, I just think that like, that's what I was trying to write. Hey, this stuff's happening. Um, there is a bit of a deadline, December 31st, by which like a definitive agreement should be either made or a uh, timetable extended. So strap on to your boots, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so I just wanted to add one quote that just is complimentary to this, uh, which is from Jay Monahan. The last time we really heard from him, which was at the tour championship, he said, uh, our teams are, if you saw the amount of conversation and the time that the PGA tour DP world tour and PIF are spending working, uh, working toward a framework or working from a framework to a definitive agreement, I think you would see the sincerity of the efforts there. And I think that that is also one thing that's in question. I freaking hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that at the time and and still now, I guess that is what has been brought into question. Uh, two two things specifically. One, does the PGA Tour want this deal to get done? Two, are these PE uh, solicitations are they unsolicited? Is it really just that the word got out and the players told some folks, hey, you guys should get involved? Or is it more like, you know what? We do have some options here. Let's look a little bit more into this now that, you know, people have made their their voices. Yeah. Heard. If uh, the PGA Tour would, would tell you they're unsolicited, but that is uh, would sound like a sound business maneuver. Is Patrick Cantley out there soliciting invitation or interest investment? Is Rory Tiger? Is Mark Steinberg? Is it an agent? Is it Scotty Scheffler? You're like probably not Scotty, but someone connected to Scotty, someone who, uh, you know, is a member at the club that Scotty plays out of down in Dallas. Like uh, the web of solicitation of investment is as tangled as anything. I'm guessing. Well, and particularly so, so this week is the live finale in Miami. They're giving out what fifty million dollars, I think. Mm -hmm. there's talk of well there's talk that it will probably get to actually about who else could be coming over will there be more players joining next year yes there will be players joining next year um but i think it still has never been made clear to me how the future of live is compatible with this vision for the future and it feels as though the further this timeline gets extended out the more stubborn the PIF will get about Liv's future and the more they'll sort of get entrenched in, in that existing product. And uh, it just feels more likely now than it did a few months ago that we could be headed for a long-term escalation in, in the PGA mm. tour live setting. Well, that's all forecasting. Take it, stick it in your pocket. folks. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next quote. I have a quote from Xander Shoffley. This quote was delivered Wednesday in Japan at the Zozo Championship. The quote is from Xander. If you look at what he said, I wasn't super fired up that he was speaking to media just because I know how things get twisted. I had to look back at what he said specifically, and he specifically said that if the tournament's for profit, then players should get paid. He also said if it's charitable, it should be a charitable event most likely, and that everything should get donated. Xander is, of course, talking about his father, Stefan, uh, or is it Stefan? Is it Stefan or Stefan? Um, 
Nobody knows. Nobody Even knows. The man himself. He, he, he gets All called right. ogre well, by a lot of the people around him, so you can stick with yeah. that. All right, so if you're following, Xander is talking about the Ryder Cup, whether it is for-profit, whether it's charitable, uh, whether players really should get paid. And so in order to understand that, we have to understand what his father said. And his father, Stefan, was speaking to Dylan DeChair. A reporter at the from Ryder Golf Cup. Magazine. Yeah. And Stefan said, among other things, I think if the PGA of America is a for-profit organization, they need to have the players share in that profit. Instead of being so damn intransparent about it, they should reveal the numbers. And then we should uh, go to the table and talk. Alternatively, this is a separate part of your discussion. Alternatively, they can donate all proceeds after opening the books to a charity of our joint choice, and then we'll be happy to play for free. Please print that. That is the end of the quote from Stefan. Um, Dylan, this question was posed to Xander as to what are the obstacles to getting paid. And Xander basically highlighted his father's words, which state that the PGA of America is an obstacle. And uh, I was curious for a couple things. When Stefan said, print that to you, was your first thought, oh, don't worry, I will? <laughs> there was something about the way he said, and then we will happily play for free in sort of his in his uh, little Shoffley accent that was just so gleeful. And so uh, it was such a punctuation point, especially when he said, please print that. It was like, with your permission, I certainly will. Um, <laughs> you know, there's little conversations that you have with people at golf tournaments that it's funny, this has been a, a, a question this week in the baseball world, uh, talking about, okay, what is on the record? What is off the record? If you're in a locker room, then is everything that you can hear fair game, etc., etc. You know, I've never covered a, a baseball or football or basketball game. All of it to, to some extent is like a judgment call, right? Because with every decision, there's our, uh, consequences and everything you write you know you you want to be able to stand by anyway this was not one of those cases this was very clear he was like yes let's talk about this let's uh let's get this on the record i was not the only one uh, i was standing with another reporter kevin van valkenberg of no laying up and then uh stefan had also just completed a couple other interviews so his quotes were kind of popping up all over the place i think his sense was like okay this tournament is almost Coming to a close, I think he had the sense, okay, Patrick Cantlay has been taking all this heat without really even knowing it. Um, And I think he was trying to articulate, okay, here's what we're looking for. And to Xander's point, he was not just saying we need to be paid X million dollars. I mean, I think he outlined that as a possibility that like maybe the players should be getting paid. Maybe they should be sharing in the revenue. But if we're going to frame this as more of a charitable thing, uh, then maybe the PGA of America and the DP World Tour shouldn't just be raking in profits without the players getting uh, more than mm-hmm. a mid-sized charitable donation. I think that he has a point. I think that anyone that thinks that the players should be getting paid has a point. I think that <laughs> I think it's always a tough PR battle to win. But yeah, I like the idea of should they be a little bit more transparent about the money and then should 
should the players get a little bit more money to donate to charity? Uh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me without being privy to all of those conversations. I understand also why people are sick of it and why people would not want that conversation dredged up during the yep. actual week of the Ryder Cup. Yeah, based on how that conversation went and what that discussion was that week, it was a distraction, absolutely, during the final few days of the Ryder Cup. Um, my two questions that I really wanted to ask you are, one, do you think Xander Shoffley feels he should be paid? And then secondly, will players be paid at the 2025 Ryder Ooh. Cup? I think there will be – I'll take your second question first. I think there will be some – shift in the way it happens and as i understand it sean the president's cup already made this shift where they give each of their players two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and with the Ryder cup it's very specifically earmarked as a charitable donation i believe for the president's cup it's just here's your lump sum and there's sort of an understanding that hey maybe it's going to go to your foundation maybe it's going to be something else but i think you are free to spend that as you see fit um, that was kind of the word out of the the uh, tour this week. So I don't know if there's going to be a change like that. I wouldn't expect that it's suddenly like, hey, every member of the Ryder Cup team gets a million dollars. I just don't think so. Like when Tiger Woods mm -hmm. kind of at least half-heartedly fought this battle, when David Duvall fought this battle 20 years ago, I, I don't think think that there will be a significantly different result this time, especially because it seems completely irrelevant to, you know, at least the entire European Ryder Cup team. So yeah. <laughs> I think I would, I would predict that we see some sort of change. Um, maybe there's more transparency and more communication between the PGA of America and the players involved in the U S team. And uh, maybe the way that the money gets distributed changes a little bit, but I don't think we see a full sea change here. Man, it's funny. One of my friends uh, visited me last week, and he's a big golf fan. And he was like, "So, Sean, like, you're an insider. Like, why the hell? I don't know. Don't even know if I agree with that. But why? Why can't the Americans win the Ryder Cup?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, we do uh, in America, <laughs> but..." Um, it's just so funny when you when you kind of said it all there. The the people who have fought the the war about getting paid for that event in the past. You named Tiger Woods. You named David Duvall. You named Marco Mira. We yeah. now have we now have uh, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley's father at the very least. Xander, you could probably add to that himself. When we like wonder, like why can't this team win? The only team that really moans about this is the same team who can't win on the road who can't you know quite get together band together you know whether it's the money thing or uh it's playing for a certain seal or it's playing for a captain or whatever like something undercuts the american team and just adding money to the list makes it worse um and the euros you will never, I don't think you will ever hear John Rahm talk about his compensation for that event. I don't think Tommy Fleetwood would. Uh, I don't think Justin Rose ever would. And I could, I just imagine most of the American team want to get paid. I don't think this is just a Xander and a Patrick thing. I think, yeah. I mean, these guys probably all want to get paid. They would, none of them would say no to getting sure. paid for the event. I, <laughs> It's just a little bit of a weird situation because 
I think I agree with them. Like, I think they should get paid, but I think it should, yeah, I think they should I get do, paid I in sort too. of in the way that like guys that make it to the world series get paid where it's just like a thing that happens in the background and then no one really talks about it because that's not the point. And to Patrick Cantley's credit, when he was asked about it in a press conference after the hat waving incident, he seemed a little bit blindsided by it and was like, basically said that like, yeah, that's just like not the point at all, especially right now. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong about the, you know, that's a whole other conversation that we sort of had on the last podcast about the American versus European approach. And clearly there are some shortcomings in, in the U S uh, result in Italy, but yeah. Like that's what, that's what, that's what bubbles up during times in which you can't get all on board is my point. And that doesn't ever bubble up for the other team. Things don't bubble up for the other team because they are all on board. Yeah. And what's funny is you kind of hear later, like much later, it's not like all these European guys, maybe now, but on the, on the former teams that were so successful, plenty of those guys were at odds personality wise. Uh, those locker rooms, yeah. I think, those personalities were going, were butting heads constantly. But the week of the Ryder Cup, it was something different. I mean, that Justin Rose quote continues to stick out of like being on being a European Ryder Cupper means more than just playing with your best mate. And uh, that was like such a funny shot across the bow for Justin Rose. I don't yeah. know how aggressively he meant it, but it sure came across that way. Uh, because the European or the American side is just is such a buddy system, and when it breaks down, then it it happens to look even worse. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I just don't know what a right what the correct number would be. Like, it's we want the DP World Tour to continue existing and being financially viable. So <laughs> if they have to make a little extra this week, I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah. Good point. Do you have any more quotes for me? I've got one more um, from Mr. Taylor Gooch. I've always felt that I was good enough to be a professional golfer and play against the best in the world. Now to be here and to, I think, consider myself one of the best in the world. It's what I've been dreaming about since I was nine years old. Now, Sean, when I was playing with Taylor Gooch in Thunder Bay, Ontario, in the summer of 2015, I remember thinking to myself, he's going to be one of the best in the world. I can play with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I missed the cut. And I think I think he either won the tournament or lost in the playoff. But my question for you is a two-parter. <laughs> is Taylor Gooch among the best golfers in the world, part one? And two, how do you know? I consider the best players in the world to be a pretty big group of people. I think it's like the top 30 mm. is kind of, it's kind of where I go with that only because, uh, I add this secondary word to elevate people. And I think of like elite, like any, who is an elite pro golfer and that I kind of figured to be the top yeah. eight. So here he, eight yeah. So 12. when he says one of the best in the world, you, you sort of, take that and you hear eh, top top 30 yeah okay. and i think it i think he is right now i think he kind of has been for the last few years he's making it to um, the second 
He's making it to the to the weekend, the first weekend in March Madness. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just I think that sure, I'll check that box for you, Taylor. But like the clause that I would add to it is that you're not you haven't extra proven that this year. He thinks he has by winning three live tournaments, contending in a bunch of those events. He didn't do it elsewhere. He didn't do it outside of live, um, which is important information. And uh, maybe he just feels very comfortable in the shotgun start format. Um, but that's where he has thrived. He is one of the best players in the world, but he is not one of the elite, elite players of pro golf right now. And so how do you know is the second question. Mm. You looked at data golf. I know that's kind of a really lame response. People probably are would be annoyed. The drop zone needed, um, needs its own ranking. Yeah, it really does. But like I said, the unofficial ranking of drop zone is data golf. He is ranked 30th. And I think, how do you know? Well, I think if... I think if you asked Roy McElroy and Justin Thomas and Phil and Brooks and all those guys to rank who they think, you know, they don't want to be going against like peak Taylor Gooch, which he's kind of been right now, probably be within the first 30 people they would list. Do you disagree with that? Jeez. I don't know. I mean, three wins is he was like the most surprising of the early names. I'm having a hard time answering your question because I, he's so he's such a different player in this live context. Like being, being a three-time winner now, winning that $18 million check, being like the face in some ways of this year's live season, being one of the more vocal, like he's got a little chippiness to him that some of those other guys don't have, um, that Brooks doesn't really have when it comes to like sticking up for what live is. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of, okay, if if the PGA Tour played live, how many guys would you pick ahead of gooch um and i still think there would be a couple is he in the top yeah i think i mean that data golf number seems about right like he he's he's yeah. been playing really well it's weird that he did not show up in the majors this year he has clearly found some sort of comfort zone on live mm -hmm. and you know a few of these courses in particular because he had a, a stretch there where he wasn't you know, he was, it was like win or bust on live. Uh, the last few events though, he, he did play quite well. So yeah, I mean, I think how we know we can look at the strokes gained crossover numbers, etc. We can see how he's played over there against what is still some strong competition. Uh, he played really well those weeks that he won. He played extremely well at Valderrama. There's no doubt about that, but yeah, I, I don't think he's a top. I don't think it's like, Oh, this guy is a top eight or 10 golfer in the world. I guess that's where no. that's where I land. So he's not proven that he's elite. He has proven that he has an enormous amount of money. <laughs> that's true. All right, let's get to their final quote, Dylan. You've got to go get yourself a haircut, yep. trim the hedges a little bit. Uh, final quote was delivered today, again, Wednesday. Hopefully we can do this more often. We're showing you guys quotes in as close to live as possible. But the, the quote was from Miami, the live event. It was, uh, there was a question asked to Phil Mickelson and it was, do you think there's going to be another sort of exodus because the drains sort of stopped, the move over has stopped, but do you think you live will get another trench of it now? Phil Mickelson's quote was, do I think that? 
No, I know that's going to happen. When players look at Live, they are wanting to be a part of it. Everybody here is happy and enjoying what we are doing and enjoying the team aspect of it and enjoying each other and the camaraderie and enjoying playing golf globally and all the benefits that come with playing this tour. So there's a lot of players that see that and want to be a part of it. The question is, you know, how many spots are available? There's a lot more players that want to come than there are spots. That is the end of the quote. Is this Phil Mickelson bluster as we have become accustomed to? Or is there truth to it? Are both of those things possibly true? Yeah, I think both things are true. I think when people see that, their eyes and ears really perk up and say, whoa, is uh, a top five golfer in the world going to jump? And there still have been rumors of that. Like that is still something that's popping around PGA Tour circles, but I don't think it's true. Um, I could be wrong. Haven't been yet, but there's always that possibility. (laughs) Um, But Sean, if you go to the other end of the spectrum, I'm working and have kind of been working on a story on what the hell happened to the Mina Tour which you'll remember from the original world rankings end around that Liv tried to pull. And talking to some of the players there, they're like, yo, when Liv popped up and then we found out about this Mina connection, we were like, maybe this could be the Corn Ferry Tour to Liv. Like the amount of money at stake and the number of struggling professional golfers, go look at pre-qualifying sites, go look at first stage Q school sites, see how many people are trying and failing to play the PGA tour. See how many people are are trying and failing to, to get from the corn ferry to the next level and see how many guys are trying to get into the elevated events and aren't quite there. Like if there is a side door Mm -hmm. where you could go play on live, especially now that the PGA tour has basically removed that obstacle to say, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. we as the PGA Tour would never do business with the Saudis like Liv does. There's no question there's a ton of guys that are going to want to go check out that option. Um so I yeah. I have no doubt Phil is correct that people are knocking down the door to get involved. <laughs> I mean, again, if you go back to the Mina Tour, which is a fairly standard developmental mini tour in terms of payment, the leading winner of non-live guys on that money list has made $25,000 this year on that Sweet. tour. There are only seven events, et cetera, et cetera. But last place in a live event is five times that. So there are orders of magnitude when you talk about this stuff. So yeah, Phil's right. But as always, he is scheming. Yeah, there's context to it all. Uh, the quote actually, the press conference continued and it was James Corgan from uh, or a friend from across the pond asking the question. He said, you don't think the merger talks will affect the idea of players coming over? And Phil says, I think the merger talks allow for it. I think it allows and kind of opens the door for that, which is kind of something you basically said. Um, so it removes the stigma reiterates. a little bit, Sean. It just, re- it, it just changes the calculus a little bit. Although at the same time... I think the resistance to the merger has also suggested that like, hey, wait a minute, not all of us are completely Mm. on board with this thing. So So there will still be upheaval and movement and uh, gosh, a lot to come from the fall. There's some weariness in your voice, Sean. Well, that's because there's so much um, 
we get we get Xander and we get people talking during these times where we don't quite know that much. But hey, Xander, if you're going to go play the Zozo, you're going to sit up there for a press conference and we're going to ask you about what your dad said. Uh, and so there's a lot of moving pieces. The more people that we get on the record, uh, the more, I guess, transparency that comes out of it all. And so here, me and you are we just trying to that. say things that are true, which is yep. which is tough in these times. Uh, what a pleasure. We're going to be back very soon. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Peace.